Hello, hello. You are listening to Why the World Needs You podcast, hosted by me, Benjamin Fritz. This podcast has been created to empower you to become the person you've always wanted to be. The journey is difficult and the challenges are many, but the rewards of being true to yourself are immeasurable. The objective of this show is to give you a safe, supportive space to learn, gain inspiration, and witness the true power and freedom that comes with becoming the person that you are meant to be. Why the World Needs You is a community of purpose-driven individuals who are passionate, gifted, and have a zest for life. They deeply desire to share their unique voice and gifts in order to make the world a better place for themselves and future generations. They are pulled to a different way of living and a higher purpose, while remaining grounded in their desire to engage and contribute in practical ways. My goal is for you to walk away from each episode with confidence and conviction, sharing your authentic self with the world, as well as a deepening understanding of your potential to impact the world in a way that makes sense to you. I'm honored to have this privilege. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day and your journey. Hello, and welcome to the Why the World Needs You podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Fritz, and today I have my cousin, Andrew Catronbone, here with me. Andrew is the brains and the brawn behind Chicago's newest addition to the donut scene, Beacon Donuts. Andrew, happy to have you on, man. Been waiting for this. Hey, happy to be on. <laughs> All right. Well, obviously... I know you, and I know your story, um, and I know all your story <laughs> since you were a little boy. Uh, but today, I kind of wanted to, obviously, so for anybody that doesn't know, I co-founded Beacon Donuts with Andrew, and I really wanted you to share your side of the story because just kind of like your background in the donut industry and just, I mean, anything else that you think is relevant um, kind of to to like where you got today so we'll just start with a little bit of your story and then i don't know we'll just shoot the shit as we go i went to college at uic with your sister annie (laughs) um dropped out after a year because i suck at school and then actually it was like a year and a half but this the half year I was never there I like just smoked a bunch of weed and I never went to class and uh we all know how well that turns out for people (laughs) so dropped out ended up going to culinary school almost finished that um I finished I completed like my major was culinary arts with a concentration in sorry my cat's knocking stuff off the table culinary arts with a concentration in baking and pastry and uh i finished that core curriculum um but i they wanted me to take like an additional gen ed that i had failed a couple times before because i didn't want to do it it was like this literature class that I was supposed to, you know, I was getting up, I was getting up and getting to school at like 5am every day. And that's rough for somebody who's like, I don't know what, I would think I was like 21 at the time, 20, 21. And that in itself is rough. Nobody likes waking up at four to get to, to get to school by five. And then, so 
you know, when they throw in stupid, useless fucking classes like this literature class, why? What's the point? You want, you just want my money. And so I just said, fuck you. Um, blew it off the first time, failed. And then I wouldn't, they wouldn't let me graduate without passing this class. So I said, see you later. Don't care about your bullshit diploma. I'm going to go get a job now. Um, which I did. Um, honestly, Diploma or not, what's the difference, you know, when you're going to get a job in the food service industry, anybody you talk to is going to laugh at a culinary degree anyway. Culinary degrees don't mean shit. So technically dropped out of school a second time. Started working at Do Right Donuts. Um, that's that's pretty much where the donut story begins because uh, – that was crazy. Uh, I learned more there than I think I ever have in a job. Um, and more about, more about the industry and about myself. Like I thought that I was a hard worker going into that job, but quickly found out what hard work actually means. (laughs) Um, yeah, I was not a hard worker going into that job. I was a hard worker coming out of that job. Um, Cause it's just, it's the level at which some of the people that I worked for, the level at which they operate on a day-to-day basis is just through the roof. Uh, so people like, well, my boss at the time, his name is Harris Dantonek. I don't know what he's doing now, but he fucking hated, I didn't hate work. Yeah. I hated working for this guy because <laughs> he just like pushed me to my limit every goddamn day. And I thought he was being an asshole, but really all he was just doing what he had to do. Um, and then our boss, like his boss, the owner of do right. Um, or one of the owners of do right. His name was Francis Brennan. Um, and he's the guy. Harris taught me hard work. Francis Brennan taught me how to do things right. Francis is a chef partner at Let Us Entertain You. Um, he co-founded restaurants like like Summer House, Santa Monica, um, Stella Barra. Um, I believe he had a hand in the menu creation at Monami Gabi um, and a bunch of other restaurants. He's just a, a crazy awesome chef um, and he knows his shit. Francis, by the way, the way he learned... He didn't go to culinary school. He he didn't, you know, he didn't do it the traditional way. He he up and went to France. He didn't speak French. He went to France to bust his ass in kitchens over there for like a number of years. Worked his way up from dishwasher to chef to a chef. Came back here and started working with Let Us Entertain You. So pretty much like everything I learned in terms of like how to do things correctly, how to how to create a product that people want to buy, um, and how to run a respectable, you know, operation. That's Francis Brennan. He taught me all that. Um, how to bust my ass and 
like really bust my ass and work and how to work as a team. That came from Harris, Danton Act. Um, and then there's the business aspect, um, which I still am lacking on. But my business mentor at the time was Mark Tormey, who's another, another, uh, he's a managing partner and one of the VPs at Let's Entertain You. And he's probably the smartest person that I know. Um, a lot of people have trouble working for him because he has a unique management style. But the way that he manages, I, I totally vibe with. Um, and he's, I, I don't think he knows how much I appreciated his kind of guidance. Um, but I, I hope that someday I can like express that to him. Um, it's funny because I'm opening a competing donut shop with his, but uh, <laughs> hopefully he's cool with that. Um, he's, but he, he, you think about, you think about successful people and you think like people who make a, a bunch of money, you know, they don't care about money or, or, you know, they don't, they'll, they'll, you think they'll just like spend their money on whatever you think they have no worries. Right. Um, at least from the outside looking in, but this guy, he, he was so fucking cheap. He was so cheap. He, he doesn't, you know, he'll pay, he pays his employees just like what he's required to pay them. Um, he, he doesn't want to spend money. It's not necessary. But what I found with him is like, actually, he kind of forces you to learn this on your own. If you want more money from somebody, you better ask them because it's a good chance that there's a good chance that they'll say, okay. Um, so he taught me that, um, among many, 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 many other things. Anyway, um, I moved on from making donuts after five years of working there um, because I thought it was bullshit. I was tired of, uh, at the time we had a kitchen that was like, you could see into the kitchen from, from where all the customers were. And I just like, I don't know. I just, I felt like a caged animal, you know, that people like looking, <laughs> watching people, people just want to see what you're doing. But from the inside, it feels like, I don't know, you just feel like a caged monkey. And when you're sitting there like on your hands and knees, fucking scrubbing congealed shortening off the side of a fryer in front of 40 fucking people, you feel like it's like degrading, man. Um, and so I was done with that. I said, fuck this. Um, and I went and took a sales job <laughs> at specialty mat services, which I just left yesterday. No, Thursday. Um, but that was even cool. I learned a lot of shit there too, in terms of, I mean, hard work still. I thought I was a hard worker to even do right again. I got to specialty mat and that was a whole nother story. So, <laughs> It's specialty mad. I'm waking up at my job was sales, but it's a small company. So, um, you can't like, if I had drivers, our driver, our product is floor mats, was floor mats. Um, uh, and we would rent them and clean them. So we had a fleet of trucks with drivers who would like, leave the plant every morning around 4 or 5 a.m., sometimes 3 a.m., 
and they would go to these businesses, pick up their dirty floor mats, and replace them with clean ones. So when one of those drivers gets sick, the customer still needs to be serviced. So guess who was on the trucks probably half of the time? This guy. Um, so And that's a hard-ass job. I don't think those guys get enough credit for what they do. They, I mean, some of those guys are getting the trucks at midnight and work until two or three in the afternoon, you know, just moving these heavy ass mats. So anyway, that's when I think, what was it? Like a, it was a year into that was when you got back from California and propositioned me with this donut (laughs) idea. Yeah. It was like, what was that? Like mid, mid 2017, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for anybody wondering, the donuts was actually Benjamin's idea. Beacon donuts, by the way. <laughs> <It> was <laughs> Benjamin's idea. Um, but yeah, I remember that pretty, pretty, pretty clearly. We went, we went out and got tacos. Yep. And we um, just talked about doing this shit and it was cool. We were both on board um, to just bust our asses for for a minute. And like, um, actually, as I go and move forward with this more relatively solo, um, you did a lot of fucking work. <laughs> like, I didn't appreciate how much how how much work it is to set up to like go file paperwork for an LLC, stand in line at fucking city hall. Um, <laughs> ugh. And so now it's cause I'm like, honestly, after this, I got to talk to you a little bit more about, about <laughs> that, cause I got to actually sum it up. Um, but, um, but yeah, so you got all that paperwork filed while I set up kind of the, the operations end of things. Um, and then what we, we almost signed a contract. We did sign a contract with, uh, Oh yeah. Fucking what's that place called? Food, food. No. I think we both wiped it from our memory. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They were like, there was this dope ass shared kitchen that they were building right above your gym. Yeah. And, like, uh, like, couldn't have been a better scenario. Yeah. And they were like, all right, so we'll just, you guys are going to pay this much per month. And we just need you to sign, what, we signed, like, a two-year agreement or something like that? Or, like, a yeah. year agreement? I think we signed a one-year agreement. Yeah, I think so. And after we signed and sent them the contract, they were like, oh, actually, um, we're going to double <laughs> gonna double the amount that you were supposed to pay, but don't worry. It's not that much more. We're like, it's literally double. <laughs> yeah. And the, girl, the girl who told us this was like acting like they didn't do anything wrong. She was yeah, like, and like we didn't, she's like, if you guys didn't prepare for this, that's, that's on you. Yeah. We're like, all right, fuck you then. Yep. Seriously, man, that, that was that was rough. It was like, do you, do you watch The Office at all? Yeah. Have you ever seen, I don't know how much you've seen of it, but like, have you seen the kind of like, 
group of episodes where Michael leaves to form his own uh, paper company. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, that is exactly what happened with that kitchen. Because cause at the end, like, they they were giving all these people these prices, these low prices to undercut their competition. And then their accountant tells them that they have to start charging more. So there's a, there's a clip. There's, like, a, a scene where Michael Scott is on the phone with this customer that he just – signed a contract with and he's like hey you know that check that you just wrote me uh i'm just gonna have to ask you to write me like a much much bigger check (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what happened (laughs) shared kitchen man yeah 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 after after there was a signed contract by both parties yeah yeah um so i mean thankfully they i'm they did the right thing in the end which was they allowed us to yeah, get out of it. Yeah. Still, asshole business move. Not not because they had to raise their prices, just because of the way they handled it. Yeah. You know, the the way that they made it seem like they tried to they tried to they literally tried to tell us that it wasn't that big of a deal. That's basically what they said. They use yeah, they used those exact words multiple times. Yeah, and and when we fired back at them and said, "Yes, it is a big deal," and you just signed a contract with us based on this pricing, they said they they literally told us that it was our fault if we didn't plan for this. <laughs> As if we were the ones who made the the the, the poor who 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 did the poor planning, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm I'm super happy that we ended up going with Kitchen Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, who without Kitchen Chicago, we wouldn't, we, we would be nowhere. Um, they let us use their, their kitchen for $17 an hour. Um, and it was a little rough because we didn't have a hood vent in there. Yes. <laughs> so so that's, that was kind of like, you weren't able to go into the kitchen because of that. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I started. Yeah, that that probably contributed to to some of my it just yeah. knocks yeah. me off. Yeah, um, but I mean, there's there without them, we paid less with them than we were than we would have paid with that other place, whatever it was called. Um, and then what is the name? That's gonna bother me now. I know. I was trying to bring it back as soon as you just mentioned it again, and I, I don't know off the top of my yeah. head. Um, but so so, I mean, when did we start using that kitchen? Because I I originally, I think uh, I tried to get a walkthrough and just check it out with them, and they weren't like calling me back, so I just showed up there one day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was like, because that was early two thousand eighteen. Was like probably like March or April or something. Yeah, probably. No, I think, I think it was probably January. Yeah. I was going to say maybe January, February. Yeah. And then, um, so, but anyway, we got in there officially, I think it must've been, must've been May. Cause we had to get in there to start making donuts for, Oh no. Cause we, we were making, we were making donuts for, <laughs> remember we were selling donuts at Hi-Fi. Oh yeah, that's right. We yeah. did that a couple times. Yeah. Um, in the long run, it it worked out for the best. Yeah. So. No kitchen, like you were saying, kitchen Chicago ended up being like kind of 
kind of janky just in terms of, of setup there is definitely, well, we had, uh, Andrew, you came up with the, the name that, um, I, it like still makes me laugh back alley donuts. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny because the shop is in an alley now. It is actually a uh, pretty, pretty ironic, yeah. but it's like the, the operation was just, I, I mean, I, I think it's cool. Like talking about it now, right. Because it's, it's just a good story. It's like we did what we had to do. Yeah, it was like scrapped together. The kitchen like didn't even have like you said like a specific place for us. But we basically they were super super cool. The opposite of the other place, they were like, yeah, like we'll we'll figure it out. We'll like get you guys in here and and make sure it works. And so we ended up doing that. And uh, so yeah, go keep talking then about the like where we went from there. Cause that, so that was like early 2018, right before we started doing the market and stuff. Yeah. So we were selling, we, we set up a table at hi-fi your gym. Yeah. The gym that I was training at. Well, there, we had our first national donut day. Yeah. Uh, which I, uh, I, I had to drive a truck that morning. So I had to, <laughs> I had to uh, change plans, go in at like 8 p.m. or 10 p.m., make donuts, <laughs> go to work, drive the truck, and then I left. During While I was driving a truck, I came to Chicago to to uh, help you deliver some of the orders, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was wild. That was um, and then from there was when we started doing the, uh, the Wicker Park Farmer's Market. And that's, that's actually the thing. Like, without that, we wouldn't be here. Um, True. Thanks to Alice Howe. Uh, um, she was the only uh, Farmer's Market coordinator who um, accepted our application. Who, who even responded to our application, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was nice enough to get us uh we were late i think with the application or it was like oh yeah we were like past the we were like past the deadline or something for it we mm-hmm. we found it because we were kind of banking on another one and then we found it i think like a week or two or like, yeah it was mm-hmm. just like a week after their deadline so i basically like pleaded with her and was just like hey like we're willing to be like uh, you know, a really great vendor for you guys and we'll support you. And let you know, I basically was just like, please, you know, give us the chance. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> Alice was super nice. Um, and let us be every other week vendors. And then shortly thereafter, she was like, you guys want to be weekly? And we were like, yeah. yeah. Like, yes. And I remember, remember that first, that first farmer's market where people were coming up and buying donuts and we were both like blown away that people wanted to pay money for our donuts. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, all right. And, and there was a lot of support from your family and a lot of your friends. Anand and, uh, and Nirav helped us out and, too. And Nirav helped us a lot. Um, Adam came by with his wife a lot. Yep. Um, uh, Adam and Sarah, right? Yep. And they, they were super supportive in the beginning there. Um, 
just uh, yeah, a lot of your you have, you got some great friends, man, and they they were all like super supportive. Um, and then I have some friends who are also super supportive. Um, and it was like our nice little community came together and kind of gave us that gave us that uh, support that we needed in the beginning. And then people that we didn't know started uh, coming by every weekend, and now we have regulars today who were coming by in our first couple of farmers markets back in the day, which is, which is nice to see. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty cool to see. I actually just noticed last night, um, we're almost at the thousand mark on the on yeah. Instagram, man. Yeah, we're getting there. Let me see. It's, it's going to be, uh, right now we're at nine ninety four. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. It's like, it's, uh, it's a weird, good slash super anxious feeling, but I'm proud of where we are now compared to where we were in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, and just to give reference, so like you said, you, you quit your job yesterday or this week, <laughs> like, well, yeah, so full, full-time sales job done and Beacon is officially scheduled to open its open stores or or its window, I guess. When? In the next couple of weeks. I don't have an exact date. I'm going to do a soft open on Friday, a week from yesterday, um, where people can, they can, they'll be able to drop me a line for deliveries and pickup orders. Well, not, not deliveries yet. Details on deliveries are coming relatively soon. Um, Sorry, my cat's in the way again. They can drop me a line for pickup orders for rec- for next Friday. I should have Uber Eats set up by then. So if people want deliveries, they can definitely order. Um, and uh, it's also a walk-up window. You can't come inside. All it is is a walk-up window. So it's safe. I, mean, I know everybody's concerned about COVID and being too close and touching handles and doors and all you got to do, walk up to the window, tell me what you need, and I got you. We don't have coffee set up yet, though, which I'm working on. Um, we're trying to get dark matter in the building. I had another vendor in mind, but they never got back to me. So. <laughs> oh, and the other, the other thing, too, should mention the who you're kind of like uh, sharing the space with. Urban Juice. Big Joe. Joe from Urban Juice. California Joe. <laughs> but yeah, Urban Juice. They're slinging. They're already open for business. They're, they, you can order from them right now. Um, they're doing deliveries around the city. You can go on their Insta and uh, get all the info for ordering. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Like I said, good, good guy. Good product. So it'll be he, he actually be was fun. the one who reached out to us about the space. He found the space. Yeah. And uh, he kept us in mind. <laughs> Thankfully, you know. Well, well, that's, and yeah, it's kind of fun because he was, I mean, he was a connection we made, again, in, in Kitchen Chicago, whereas like, you know, we were just kind of yeah. doing our thing there and we eventually bumped into him a few times and just kind of, you know, had the same vibe. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's just the the power of connection there. You just never know 
never know how shit's going to play out, but that was, I mean, kind of perfect, really. I think it's interesting that, you know, you talked about the, like, being in college, smoking weed all the time, dropping out, and then, you know, like, you made your way to how, like, being taught what hard work is and, and really learning that. And I know that, like, I because I've seen that from you. So it's funny to, like, kind of, like, see how very different those things are. So talk a little bit about how the transition looked, like, just with a little bit more detail. Okay. Yeah. So 2008, I think, is when I started UIC. Um, I started smoking weed a lot, like, the summer before I went to college. I started, I got, like, my first taste of it, like, the summer before college. I thought it was fucking awesome. It was super fun. And so I just started doing it a lot. And then my freshman year, I was going to class. I wasn't smoking weed until, like, probably the second semester or so, like, all the time. But I would go on, I was going to class and getting things done. Um, and I had pretty good grades for, like, the whole first year, pretty much. But then that summer, I, I um, went home. I went and lived back home for the summer and then got an apartment for my so- the beginning of my sophomore year, actually, with your sister and with another girl. Um, and, uh, you know, with that much independence, you get, you make your own decisions. Yep. And so for me, I was like, well, okay, I should add in there that I had applied for student loans. This is, this is the crazy part, right? Talking about earlier, um, I don't know if we, if this was on the podcast or not, but I think it was before we started, we were talking about how it's hard for me to get a business loan. Mm, yeah. I do $100,000 in revenue every year. $20,000 business loan. Nothing. However, me as an 18-year-old, 17-year-old, before college, because I had to get this done before actually going, 17-year-old me could go online, not even talk to a real person, and apply for $100,000 in student loans where's the accountability for that like i had zero credit (laughs) i had no i had a i had good grades in high school and that's it (laughs) um and they're like here indebt yourself for the rest of your life and it's the easiest fucking thing i ever did also probably the biggest mistake of my life and here I am now with a solid business plan backed up by proven sales records Yep. of two years of these sales records. And I can't, you know, get, I can't get a loan for 20% of that, a fifth, a fifth of the size of the amount of money that I borrowed on a whim. I can't get with a solid business plan right now because I don't have a hundred thousand dollars of yearly revenue. I've never operated on a daily basis before now. It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Unbelievable, right? Anyway, because of these, part of these student loans, that was a little bit tangential. Sorry about that. But nah, I, I, think that's, I think that's very, very relevant, though. It's just like, <laughs> what the hell? Uh, but part of these student loans that I was able to 
put in there was it wasn't just um, the cost of school. It was the cost of school and then my estimated cost of what my living expenses would be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could, I could have said anything and I did. You know, I was like, oh, probably an extra like eight grand per semester for living expenses or something. And then didn't get a job because why the fuck would I need a job? I have all this money that somebody just handed to me. And somebody, sometimes, at least me, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of an idiot. So that might have been why that happened in my brain. Or might, might be different for other people. But um, I had all this money in my bank account, so I had no no use for getting a job other people yeah like your sister had a job you know all through her first year at least if not the second year of college and other people I see doing that all the time you know they're able to <laughs> have that self-awareness of like no this money isn't mine so I'm gonna work and pay this debt off not just ride the wave and deal with it later which is what I did but anyway, since I had all this money, all this free money in my bank account, um, I chose to just buy weed and smoke weed, not go to class because it was oh, some of my classes were pointless. Some of my classes, I would always get that feeling of like, do you ever get that feeling when you're in a class or did you ever get this feeling where you feel like you know less than everybody else? You don't feel like... You ever get that? Yeah. Where you, it's like, um, this, I always felt like I didn't know what was going on and everybody else did. That sucked. So I stopped going to class because going to class fucking stressed me out. So instead I just played video games, smoked weed and listened to music all day. Uh, and then I dropped out. Actually, I withdrew. <laughs> <laughs> I withdrew. So, so that those... All those classes that I would have failed didn't turn into F's on my on my transcript. Transcript, yeah. Well, I at least took one smart move. What was what was your major initially? Kinesiology. They changed it halfway through, but it was movement sciences with nutrition. I think basically kinesiology. So now- yeah, so that like just overall then. You didn't have, yeah, just kind of like, didn't have a ton of accountability. It was just like, you're Zero just, accountability. yeah, you're just going straight off your, your emotions as a 17, 18 year old. And you, you did, again, you know, like maybe not like the long term thing, but you did in the moment that the, the logical move of like, okay, this shit stresses me out. This shit is more interesting and fun and I have the funds to do it. And feels good, yeah. so so whatever. So from there, how how did you then like make the transition to okay, actually want to go to culinary school? One thing when I was living in my apartment and growing up, um, I I would make you know I learned how to make bread growing up. It's something I kind of always liked to do. And uh, when you're sitting around smoking weed all day in your apartment. Have you ever had fresh baked bread that you just slap a fucking slice of butter on? That sounds so good. I, I don't think I've ever had it in that context. <laughs> Pull bread out of the oven. Make some bread at home. You won't do this, but smoke a bunch of weed 
<laughs> Take this bread, pull it out of the oven, wait maybe 20 minutes, cut a slice, slap some butter on there, let that shit melt for like five minutes. Eat that piece of shit bread. Not piece of shit. Eat that, <laughs> eat that shit is what I meant to say. It will be, it's the best thing you could ever imagine. Fresh bread right out of the oven with butter. So, so, so your love of your love of baking came from smoking weed, being, being high, and and just wanted to do something that satisfied the. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, so, but that also was that was also the. Uh, I mean, although it's got, I guess it has a hand in where I'm at right now, which is not that far, but. Um, it also had a hand in putting me through like fucking the hardest situations I've ever had to deal with, which is completely my fault. Um, but yeah, so I would do that all the time. And I had a friend, Petey, <laughs> who would, I would hang, who I'd hang out with all, all the time. And, um, you know, I think, I think one day we were just kind of discussing what I was going to do with my life. And I was like, dude, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but he, he suggested culinary school so that I could open a bakery, which for anybody who hears this, I don't think you need to go to culinary school to open a bakery. I don't think you need to go to culinary school at all. Unless you're bored, you have the money, and you just want to learn about cooking. Like if you want to turn it into a career, don't. It is uh, or do what you want do what you want but like in my experience it's all it is is a fucking hole in my wallet um i've been i finished culinary school or i left in what was that probably 2012 and i am not even close to paying off the student loans that i took to go there uh, so and like you were saying like you didn't, so I'm happy you shared that with people because I was going to ask about that in turn, because like, as you were talking about your story before, like you said, you, you didn't finish. And then you, you know, you got the job at do right. And you started doing that. Then you like learned a fuck ton, right. About, about life, about working, about all yeah. this stuff, about business and I love the story you shared too about um, which which guy was it? The one that went to France? Francis Brennan. Okay. I should remember that. France went to France. Um, <laughs> I think that's so interesting, right? It's like, I wanted to highlight this because it's like the opposite of the way our system set up. We're like, you got to go to school. You got to go to school. Like you got to get all this like, experience or not sorry not experience you have to get all this education first education education what i was hearing when you were talking about your story is like your education was fucking working it was working in that industry and you learned way more in that situation than you ever could have or did beforehand mm -hmm. and you didn't pay for it like besides you know with your your blood sweat and tears but like yeah. <laughs> and, and you got paid for it you were working under somebody so that to me, like that was like pretty much what I wanted to really hit on and talk a little bit about because that's what I was hearing was 
basically you went to school, you dicked around for a while, you figured shit out. Like, like you said, you easily got yourself into a bunch of, a bunch of loan debt. Then to me, it sounds like then you started real life. So I think that's the part that I get kind of fired up about too with just like our education system and our messaging to young people about how there's like only one way, like college is the only way and this is the way to do it. This is the blueprint. And yeah, sure. Like for some people, doctors, lawyers, they have to do that, right? Like you have to, that's just the route to take. That's the blueprint. But for so many other people, and especially these days, you know, you look at what I'm doing. It's like I was personal training or I'm personal, like personal training, fitness coaching, now doing more life coaching, all this shit I'm doing is stuff that didn't exist 10 years ago mm. or, or, you know, not to, not to the extent that it does now or, or 20 years ago, it wasn't like kind of like shown to me as a career path. And that's fair because a lot of it is so brand new for, to, to continue this system the way it is and telling kids that this is like, this is the path you have to take. It's just a straight up lie at, at best. And it's, it's a crime at worst. Like it's just so shitty. <laughs> so that's, that's my like quick rant on it, but yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I agree. I agree with you. You know, they say like the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. So like, I, I think that the intention is good or has been good as far as like encouraging people to go to college um, because that's like always the safe bet, right? You can't go wrong with more education, which is true, but you can go wrong by putting people in massive amounts of debt and just dangling this fucking carrot in front of these kids' faces. Like, you want a better life? Great. You want it really, really easily? Here's all the money you need. You can pay it back later. Don't worry. What they don't say is like, it's it's obvious to people like us, but like, kids sometimes like kids don't understand especially if they're high school like my high school i never had a course or they should have but we didn't a course that teaches you about student loans like why don't they have that your senior year of high school as like a mandatory thing or all throughout high school to get you ready you know they should make kids aware i think it would alleviate a lot of problems if kids were more aware of exactly what having a loan means and i don't know i even if you educate them though this is the problem i think you can educate kids and they can get the information and store it up here theoretically write it on a you know fill out a test pass that test and then forget about it because even if they have all the information a lot of times those kids were never put in a position of like oh guess what your credit score is 300, which is as low as it can get, I think. You have no place to stay if you don't pay your bills. And by the way, you're going to be making the least amount of money that is legal to pay somebody for hourly work. So there you go. Find a way to pay your bills, buy food, and uh, sleep in a bed, basically. And that's <laughs> – I think a lot of people, myself included, had to be – thrown in those situations in order to learn how to work their dicks off. I mean, otherwise, I mean, if there's no need for it, why would anybody do it? 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, like you're saying, you know, it's not to, like, say that the, the system is corrupt or, or anything necessarily, but because there are, like you said, there's good intentions, right? want to create educated members of society. That part makes sense. But, right, in, in the manner that it's being done, it's not, I think it's far from responsible, and and the method that it's done. And for me, it feels a lot like informed consent. (laughs) Like, because exactly what you're saying, you're not fully informing students what they're in for. You're not having them talk to people like you or I, who are, you know, going to be 10 years out of college, at least in, in my case, and getting there on your end, and how much they pay monthly in loans, how many years they'll be paying those off, based on the, the current plan they're on. And, and that's, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, oh, that's a scare tactic. And it's not a scare tactic. It's, no, it's, it's giving these kids a little dose of reality. And, and then this is why I call it informed consent or why I say it feels a lot like informed consent to me is like, then if they say, okay, makes sense. I still want to do it. I still think it's worth it. I really want to go to school for this, then fine, right? They can at least make an informed decision then Instead of just this, like, like you're saying, like, oh, here's, here you go. Like, this is, this is the ticket. All you have to do is like sign on this dotted line and, and we'll give you a hundred grand. And, mm-hmm. and this, I think you said it when you were talking and it's, don't worry about it. And I think that is the most bullshit line mm-hmm. that kids taking out student loans are fed because that's exactly the rhetoric and I don't mean to throw school counselors under the bus right now, but that's the rhetoric that counselors use. That's the rhetoric that anybody like in admissions uses is don't worry about it. And that's fucked up, dude. It's fucked up to tell a young kid, don't worry about it. Because in, in my mind for, for you as that person saying it, you're doing them a major disservice by by saying that because like you said you're drastically affecting somebody's life on a very on a deeper level than you could probably imagine or understand so anyways we're we're like hardcore tangenting on this but i think it's i think it's really worth talking about because it's it's crazy yeah, but to add to that, exactly what you're saying is like, I mean, I think parents should be teaching this all the time too. Like from, they should be teaching kids these lessons the entire time they're growing up. But as far as like the counselor thing goes, yeah, why are there loans even a subject of conversation before they say, you're going to have to work your dick off for this? Like, do you have... $25,000 for your first semester at school. Oh, well, we got to figure out a way to pay for that. That doesn't include you buying money because that's what it is. You're, you're buying money and just paying later, but a lot more, a lot yeah. more later. So I think it should be the first topic of discussion when, if a kid doesn't have money to go to college, well, if they're talking to their counselor about it, why doesn't the counselor say, Hey, get a job. B, reconsider your choice to go to college if you can't afford it. Or or C, we could talk about loans, but 
really fucking find a way to make that kid understand what that what that means. Yeah. Because kids will say, yeah, I get it. But no, they don't. Right. right. They don't get it. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and here's the thing. This is why I use the word responsible is because I think that all the adults in that situation need to hold themselves accountable because you can't expect a 17 year old kid to understand the ramifications of that. Mm-mm. You just can't. There's, there's no way in their teenage brain that they can understand that. And so I want to quickly touch on parents too, because I think that's an interesting, obviously because they're the other adult involved. Mm-hmm. And I think they're in kind of a unique spot because they, and I think this, this is something that's really going to shift with like our generation as millennials, as we, as we start having kids, this is going to be something that's different, right? We're going to be able to start to change these things. But I think for our parents and of course, any generations before them, it's like college was seen as like the golden ticket and our parents, you know, it's 100% with good intentions that they wanted us to go to school. You can have this awesome life. You can have this great job. This is going to be so much security for you. You have this opportunity that I may not have had because a lot of as millennials, a lot of our parents didn't have a four year college education under their belt. So our parents are like, are again, I, I, I like to hold the, the system accountable for this because like they're being told just as much as we are as students that this is the right path. Like this is what's, what's necessary for them to have like a really bright and successful and safe future. And so the parents are just saying, and again, as a, as a generalization are being like, okay, you know, if that's what's right for, for Billy, then, you know, if that's going to make him successful, that's all I want for him, then of course. And then the parents are being fed that same line of, of don't worry. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay. And so, you know, they may have a little bit more of an idea of like the loans, but in terms of like what that looks like financially, but I think it's just the line that continues to get thrown out there is don't worry about it. It's going to be okay it'll all work out type of thing. <laughs> yeah. They look at it as an investment as in, you know, it, they think it's like a lot of people, they're successful with it. Like a lot of people go to college and get loans and pay it off and get a job. That's awesome. So the system works for them. Yeah. There's, there's people who the system doesn't work for. So I don't know why we can't just do something with, with like the education system works. Somehow we're able to pay for public education for people from grades through kindergarten through 12th grade. Well, why can't we extend that by two years? Like, what is it really going to cost that much more? Maybe that's a naive question because I'm not familiar with economics. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I have no idea what that type of thing looks like, but you're right. It's like, but is that out of the question? Right. right. Like, you, yeah, even, even one year. Has- why is why is there kindergarten through eighth grade, but only four years of high school? Right. Like, why not extend that? Make it six years. Fuck it. Yeah. So, I think you're totally right. I think, and I'm gonna give my mom a shout out here. She's always been like a proponent of you should have just like one year where you're not trying to cram in all your requirements. Like you actually have it as a year where you can truly just experiment, try stuff out. Um, so 
kind of along that line of thinking and kind of like what you were saying, I want to tie this back to work and work experience. We have this whole stigma about taking a gap year, taking some time off. And again, which I think isn't just like complete and utter bullshit. The fact that we stigmatize, oh, actually going out in the working world for a little bit just because you don't know what to do with your life. Oh, like, you know, you. <laughs> it's like, it's so, I, I just, I, I don't understand the societal stigma around that. And it really gets me pissed off because I think if we allowed kids and even <laughs> God forbid, encourage them to, to take a year off and to figure some shit out and just work. It's like, look, you don't even have to do anything towards what you think you might you might do you can go work at a mcdonald's you can go work at a retail store but guess what you're learning real life skills then yeah so along those lines for you kind of i wanted to get your your thoughts on you know so like you enter the working world you start learning all this stuff just kind of connect that with what i was saying there like how much do you think that just real world work experience is important for for a young person super important i mean i'll tell people any even still i'll tell anybody who asks me about culinary school i'll tell them it's did not help me get my first job yeah in fact they were they didn't they almost didn't hire me because i went to culinary school (laughs) because they have i mean there's this kind of understanding in the restaurant industry that culinary students come out of there like believing that they're chefs (laughs) <laughs> not you're not a chef coming out of culinary school unless you were a chef already and went to culinary school to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so in culinary school is cool. You get to learn, you get little tastes of everything there is in the industry. But when you come out, you have like, in my case, an extra $50,000 of student loan debt. Um, and in the, in the workplace, um, yeah, it fucking sucks waking up at two in the morning to get to work by two thirty or three, um, working your ass off on your feet all day for, I think when I started working $10 an hour, um, and that was it. But if I think in the workplace, when you realize that there's an opportunity to grow. You can tell people that you want that opportunity. Just identify the people who can give it to you. Tell them what you want. And they'll, they will, I mean, people encourage growth, especially within their own companies. So, you know, it's, it's, if you can identify that person, the, they will help you grow unless you're at a company that doesn't give a shit. But I was lucky enough to be hired at do right, which was, it had like a let us entertain you backing, but it wasn't technically a let us entertain you uh, restaurant somehow. I think there was like conflict of interest, but, um, but yeah, to be in a company and just see what needs to happen to make, to make the, uh, the customers come spend money and, you know, keep the lights on. It's uh, it's, it's kind of like a slow process though, you know, um, um, like I do right when I was just busting ass, it wasn't really a, 
I wasn't trying to learn anything. It was just like, mm-hmm. up on, up on you. But still, after working there, you know, I got more experience in probably six months there than I did in two years of culinary school. Because that's the shit. You're in it every day doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. But at the same time, move up just one level from that, from like line cook to kitchen manager. All of a sudden, you're doing the same shit over and over and over every day. But then throw in a bunch of off-the-cuff problems that you need to solve while you're doing that shit. And so you're forced to learn how to delegate. You're forced to learn how to communicate with people. And you're forced to kind of see the way that people work when you're the boss. And you never learn that. You don't learn that shit in culinary school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just don't. Yeah. Because you're not the boss of anything and nothing's on the line. Even in, I'm, I don't know if it's the same in, you know, universities too, you know, typical, like standard universities where you're just learning business or marketing or whatever, you know, you could be really fucking good at it and come out and have a great job. But I'm sure there are some kids in those majors who are just not having a good time, you know? Yeah. Why not, why not encourage people to go work? You know, make it part of high school. Yeah, but we have a job and work. If you don't like it, find a different industry because it's hard to get into a different industry when you're not like when you have bills to pay. You can't just up and try something new. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're kind of forced to learn. That's. I mean, so I guess in a way, it's good that I had. At least me personally, I had no, I could have gone back to live with my mom, but like, there's like a pride thing there. You know, you don't want to have to go home and live with your parents just because it it doesn't feel good, you know? Okay. So you finally learn how to like, okay, this shit, like this is, this is work. This is like hard work. Like you said, you're, you're just learning. Yeah. I just used a lot of words to, to say something super simple, which is through working repetitively over and over again for a long time, you start to learn shit and you start to meet people and you can make, you can make moves. Right. Right. Yeah. You learn and develop in a, in that, in that role. Yeah. And so you're, you're just kind of like in the fire. You're learning just because you're, you're doing it and because you have to, and such so a much more interactive way of learning. And again, like we're talking about specifically about your situation. Um, like you said, or we both mentioned at one point now is like, it may not be the same for all careers, but just like putting into perspective how much this mattered for your specific path. Um, but then from there, like, so you learned all that stuff. How, how did that translate into being able to start beacon and you, you know, you can talk a little bit about the sales job if you want, but basically how did all the things you learned, especially like, you know, at least for me, like I can tell, you know, the whole reason that I propositioned you, you know, I I came to you and was like, Hey, you know, I think we could do this was because I knew what a hard worker you were and are. And 
it just made sense to me. I was like, this guy's not like built to be working for somebody else. Like if he could bust his balls like this for himself, he'd be doing great. <laughs> like he'd be crushing it. To me, it just like, it, it just made sense. But then, so like, how did, how, how did that look on your end? Cause like I said, I saw it from the outside looking in of being like, Oh dude, like this guy's work ethic. Like it only makes sense that if he actually wants to, starting his own business would be the way to go. Yeah. Well, part of it for me is that I just fucking hate failing. <laughs> I hate the fucking idea of failing. I don't give up easily on shit. Like, oh, if I don't care about it, I can give up on whatever. But mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, like, work that I've been putting into something, I'm not going to fucking just – give up you know um mm-hmm. you get you get uh you call, you run into situations a lot where you're forced to either think quickly and act or throw in the towel and say fuck it and i just i can't live with <laughs> i can't live with making a a, a decision like that like no oh, i'm not gonna even try i'll just you know I tried, I tried to an extent and I'm not going to try any harder. Like I, I can't accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think maybe, I don't know, maybe that's something that's unique to a certain group of people. Um, like maybe some people don't have that chip on their shoulder, but I think a lot of people do if they're thrown into that situation. I just kind of wanted to mention just to give people an idea So Andrew is like, so we, we basically put this in motion while he was doing that sales job. He described, um, he was driving trucks a lot, getting up at all hours in the night. I had my personal training business that I was running and I wasn't getting up at the same time Andrew was, but I had a fair share of 4.30 AM wake ups as well on my end with, with training people early in the morning and stuff. So when this was all kind of born, like once we got into the kitchen and stuff, we were going in on weekends, you know, meeting up on weekends. We were getting into the kitchen at all odd hours. We were doing stuff that neither of us knew how to do. And that was, that's kind of like one of the things I wanted to mention here is like, we we didn't know how to do this shit. And like, yeah, like I have a little bit more business knowledge than you because I had done that shit and, and done my own legwork to figure out how to start a business and stuff like that. And very, you know, very different than uh, like industry wise, but you know, you were jumping into things that you didn't know, like, yeah, you know how to make donuts, you know how to do that in your sleep, but in terms of like getting something off the ground. And then for me, I don't know jack shit about the food industry. So you at least kind of filled that, but we, you know, we had to figure out so much stuff in terms of how that was going to look. We had to be creative. So I, the 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 point I want to get across here is that I see so many people not start things. I think it's important. You mentioned fear of failure. That's huge for a lot of people. They don't start something because they're terrified of failing. So that's a big part thing that stops people. But then the other part is like, even if they can get past that, it's, oh, but I don't know how to do this. Oh, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, yeah, so it doesn't get done. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out, man. We, really well. we have all the tools at our fingertips to do anything in the world. 
And and if you have an immediate like come back to that of like, oh yeah, but I couldn't do this, then find somebody who does. Yeah. And so one of the thing that the word that I wanted to use here is resourceful. Like be if if you're really set on doing something for yourself, whether that's creating a business or creating a big shift in your life or whatever, like be resourceful. You know, we, we were two guys that had the tools to, to start a donut business, but we still didn't like know how on paper, you know? So not at all, but we did little things like we weren't scared to like, okay. So problems that come up, we weren't looking for the perfect solution. We were just looking for a solution and we did it. (laughs) I think that's, I think that's a lot of the problem that people have is like, they want to have perfection throughout. And we don't, we, for us, it was like, we got to get this figured out. We're going to fuck it. Let's do this. Let's get these. uh, We need boxes. Let's get these pizza boxes, you know? Yeah. Um, we need we need a logo, but we don't have enough money for printing. Let's just fucking buy a stamp, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Um, and even harder shit, like like for me, finding a storefront. It's like uh, you look so hard for these things, and it's hard to not jump on the easiest opportunity, which is somebody you know we learn. <laughs> We learn from those experiences of here it is. All you got to do is sign on the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, when your goal is to have a storefront and you walk into the first place that you're going to see, you're like, oh, I could make this work. And they're like, just sign on the dotted line, you know, and it's yours for 10 years. <laughs> All right. You could do that or you could make another you could choose to wait like it goes both ways you don't have to take every opportunity but you should you should think about everything and if, if it seems too easy it's because it probably is yeah yeah but it, at least through this whole process i've learned that like the hard shit is what pays off the most like the work and and learning the things that you need to do if you don't know if you don't know how to do something and you don't know anybody who does then fucking try something because even if, even if what you try doesn't work, you'll be like this much closer to knowing how to do whatever it is you were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a combination of all those things. And um, one thing that I know we've talked about a little bit is I think the final ingredient, and I talk about this with my clients too, It's it's been something that I've had to um, do as I shift my direction is patience. Yeah. We live in a culture of immediate gratification. The things that are, you know, there's there's got to be some saying around this. I can't think of what it is, but it's like things that are worth having, you don't get right away you've yeah. you have to work for and so that's kind of the, the final piece of the puzzle is like you you have to have patience and and this kind of ties even even with what you were saying of like just wanting to jump on the first like okay stormfront like let's do it but it goes through like all aspects of the business and knowing that you're not immediately going to get kicked back so you know, just to put things a little bit into perspective here, you know, we're having this conversation at the beginning of 
April in 2020. And I mean, we basically started two years ago, like, but here's the other thing that people should know is that we started two years ago in terms of like getting in the kitchen. We were having, I texted you Labor Day weekend is when I was in San Diego with Jesse. We had conversations for six months before we even got in a kitchen. Yeah. Six fucking months, man. That's half a year to talk about shit Mm -hmm. and to not even do anything and to, to not like be in a physical space. We did a lot on our like back end. So anyway, I, I just think all that's really important for people to understand. Like I said, you know, you've busted your ass for a long time you know, you're working crazy hours, driving a truck at all different hours. And, you know, you mentioned the one example of coming to the city and like dropping off orders. The The point is you've got to be willing to work and you've got to have patience. And the more you try to force it and want it to work and, and try to like make it happen sooner than it's going to, the more it's not going to, to work. And, um, yeah, you just have to, you just have to have that muscle, um, because if you, if you want something now, and again, you know, now I'm speaking a little bit more towards people who are wanting to start a business or a venture of some sort, even if it's, even if it's a, if it's a project or a community or something like that, just be in it for the long haul or, or don't do it. Honestly, I feel like (laughs) Well, I mean, and to that point, it did took it took us six months to get any real, actual like concrete work in. But I think we could have if we had if we didn't have to work full time jobs during that. If we had a roof over our heads, like like a lot of these kids coming out of high school will do, we easily could have. T- done that in half maybe a quarter of the time yeah for sure. and imagine the work that like if, imagine a, a full-time job you go to the office for eight hours a day if you sat down and took eight hours a day to do all the things that we had to do leading up to that you could get a shop up and running in like a month yeah the hard part is figuring it out but like taking looking taking action doing shit yeah that, like you can do a lot of shit in one day and a lot of people say, I'm, I do this too. Uh, a lot of people say, Oh, I've been working on it. Yeah. I've been working on trying to find this or trying to do that. But it's like how hard though? Like how much have you actually been working on it? Like, have you had an idea and then you just been sitting on it for a couple of weeks? Cause I know I, I say that shit all the time. And <laughs> I can't be the only one. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, yeah, it's just, making moves but like then when we got into that I think that the idea like the main idea is that yeah it took us six months but it was like we didn't lose focus Mm -hmm. we kept our eyes on the prize and we actually continued going for it yeah instead of running into a problem and then like saying that we're going to deal with it for a little bit and then just kind of fizzling out like some other things do Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I think part of that is, I think kind of the the flip side of the immediate gratification coin is discipline and just being willing to 
go after it over and over and over and over without expecting anything from it right away. Because I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble is like, Oh, you know, like this is a really cool idea. This is really exciting. And I don't I can't really remember for us, but like we might've even had this a little bit at the beginning where it was like, Oh, like, you know, it's going to be awesome when we get into a brick and mortar and like, you know, next year, or, you know, you just kind of, you, you get hopeful about stuff, but there's a difference between being hopeful and shooting, you know, like setting yourself high goals and just hoping and praying, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because nobody's going to do that shit for you. You got to do it by yourself. Yeah. Well, shit, dude, we, we talked about a lot of, a lot of stuff here. Any, any other like remaining thoughts, things we didn't cover? Off the top of my head, no. Uh, it's, we covered a lot. We covered a lot. It's just, I mean, I think the central point of the conversation was you gotta, if you want something, you gotta be willing to work for it. Yep. I think, that's, your, that's I think that's it. And then too, the other part, I feel because of of knowing both of our journeys has you know it's been kind of all over the place. I think a lot of it too is just being able to understand, like learn from everything, take something from everything. Cause you even said this about your sales job. You know, you said that you learned a lot there and was it what you wanted to be doing or is this your dream job? Fuck no. But, but you were still able to learn a lot from it. You were able to take away. And as long as you're able to learn and, and kind of get new skill sets or new tools under your belt, mm-hmm. just know that like all those experiences in your life, are going to be beneficial. Like for me, I worked a desk job for two years. It's not even close to what I'm doing now or what I want to be doing, but I learned a lot during that time. That's been very beneficial to me and what I do now. So just kind of, I don't know, I guess I'm throwing this out there as kind of something for people to take, like be grateful for whatever you have, even if it's the worst job in the world, what can you learn from it? What can you take going forward? And then, you know, just be grateful for that and build off of it. If you want to get out of it, you better fucking make moves. Yeah. Always be building the plan, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Good shit, man. Well, so we got Beacon Donuts opening up in Chicago. Where can people find it? You can find Beacon Donuts on the corner of Halstead and Armitage in Lincoln Park. In Chicago, uh, the exact address is 2008 North Halstead Street, but it's actually in the alley behind that address. Um, so just if you go on the website, which is launching soon, you'll see what my storefront looks like. And if you just look around a little bit in in the alleys, it's <laughs> it's on the northwest corner in the alley. So look in that alley, you'll see my storefront. And, uh, you can come in. No, you can't come in. Actually, you can come up. <laughs> can't come in. You can come up to the window and say hi, or you could place uh pickup or delivery order and details on that will be coming soon. And also I apologize for the amount of times I cursed during this conversation. <laughs> we, right. we definitely yeah. set it. We definitely set a record for the, the podcast so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Hey, I can't, properly express myself if i'm not allowed to swear yeah well it's it's funny because you bring it out in me too but i think that yeah. you know this is 
pretty much what the, the podcast is about is just being like authentic, just putting it out there as it is, you know, take what you want from it. And, you know, if you don't like swearing, then yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. But, but yeah, no, I'll, uh, I will throw all the, the links to the website and the Instagram in the, the bio. Honestly, by the time this episode goes live, uh, you should be up and running on your end. So for anybody listening to this, go check those out. Go, go look at that Instagram and try not to drool. I dare you. Hey, yo, thanks so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that all the relevant links can be found in the show notes below, as well as that of our free Facebook community, where all the cool kids are at, just being ourselves, sharing our gifts, and supporting the hell out of one another. So come on in, introduce yourself, and join the party. See you in there.